The issue of Israel above any other, I believe, will be a dividing issue within the church and will determine the future and direction of those that decide what they're going to do with Israel. There's a whole amazing message I could share with you on the book of Ruth, but I would encourage you to read the book of Ruth and do some study on it because it's a a very important allegory about being faithful to love the nation and people of Israel. There's a book I brought along. It's probably gone now, but it's called Your People Will Be My People. You can get it online. I'd encourage you to read that. Your People Shall Be My People by Don Finto. And it really talks about uh, the importance of connecting ourselves with Israel, and that is one of the things that I want to talk about today. Now, when I talk about this, I'm not talking about necessarily being approving of everything national Israel currently does. I have no uh, belief in what they're... Sometimes they make mistakes, do you understand? We're not saying by talking about Israel that everything Israel does and everything the nation of Israel does is godly or proper and appropriate. But what we're talking about here is God's purposes for that nation that's been reformed and his purposes for the people that are the descendants of Jacob that are called Israel. And so when we're reading about this, this is what we're talking about. And I want you to turn to Romans chapter 11 this morning. And uh, we're going to start out at verse number 11. Now, Romans 11 is the third chapter in, a, in three chapters that talks about the relationship between Jew and Gentile. Romans we hold up as the book about grace and salvation, and it is about that. But one of the things I think we miss as the church is it's actually a little bit of a handbook on how we Jew, how the Jews that were believers and the Gentiles who were believers are supposed to get along. And that is a bit that's gotten lost in our church teaching and theology. In fact, I have a friend, his name is Peter Sukahira, and he, sa- he says this, we have, we have a blank theology when it comes to chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans. We spend a lot of time in 1 through 8, and we spend a lot of time in 12 through 16, but we don't spend very much time at all explaining 9, 10, and 11. And that is because I believe historically there has been an anti-Semitic kind of spirit that has invaded the church early on. And it was something that Paul was actually warning about In this passage that we're about to read, he was warning the church, the Gentile church, because he was addressing Gentiles, be careful that you don't become anti-Israel in the process of moving forward, because there's an important thing I've got for them, and you don't want to be on the wrong side of this issue. And so Paul's giving us a very stern warning. So I'm going to read a lengthy passage uh, of the scripture here. It comes from... um, Uh, It's verses 11, and we're going to go to 32. So, I ask you then, this is Paul speaking, have they, speaking of the Jews, stumbled in order to fall? Now, I'm I'm reading out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible, but some versions say, have they stumbled beyond recovery? I think that's what the NIV says. And then Paul says, absolutely not. On the contrary, by their stumbling, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Now, I want you to mark under there. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's where we like to stop (laughs) as Christians. Yay, salvation has come to the Gentiles. I want you to underline what comes after that. To make Israel jealous. Now, if their stumbling brings riches to the world and their failure riches to the Gentiles, how much more will their full number bring? 
Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles in view of the fact that I am apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If I can somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them, for it is if, but, and then I want you to underline verse number 15 and 16. For if their rejection brings reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And I want you to highlight that. Now if the first fruits offered up are holy, so is the whole batch. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, if some of the branches were broken off, and you, though a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them, and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree. So Paul is now going into an analogy of the Jews being like the native branches on an olive tree, and the Gentiles being like wild olive branches that aren't native to the cultivated olive tree grafted in and have them and, and, and come to share the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, do not brag that you are better than those branches. But if you do brag, you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough, they were broken off by unbelief, but, they, but you stand by faith. So what broke them off? Unbelief. And the way we stand in this is by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you, if you remain in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be what? And even if they do not remain, and even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in because... God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from your native olive, wild olive, and against nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So that you will not be conceited, brothers. Look at the times he says, don't be arrogant, don't be conceited. It's talking about be humble. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. A partial hardening has come to Israel until the full number, or maybe a better reading of the full measure, or the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, has, has been achieved. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the liberator will come from Zion. He will turn away godlessness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sin. Regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage, but regarding election, they are loved because of who? The patriarchs. Since God's gracious, and I want you to underline this, gifts and calling are irrevocable. As you once disobeyed God, but, but now have received mercy through their obedience, their disobedience rather, so they too have now disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so that they also now may receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. Lord, I pray that the words that I'm about to speak and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name I ask it, amen. Paul then goes on and sings a hymn of praise to the awesomeness of God and how he orchestrates everything and we can't even comprehend, begin to comprehend how God puts these things together. But then I want you to notice in verse 12, in chapter 12, in verse 1, a very famous verse that my dad preached all the time as a missions verse was this. And I'll quote it in the King James Version. You can read it in whatever version you're in. Romans 12, 1 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, 
by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of service or worship. And then it goes on to be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to submit to you today, guys, if we do not get this piece about Israel right in our hearts and minds, we are not going to be able to know the purposes and will of God for our time in the kingdom. It is absolutely essential that we would ask God to straighten any crookedness out in our hearts about understanding the relationship between the Gentile believing church and the Jewish people that are in a place where they are right on the edge of a massive turning. One of the things that we always preach as Christians is that the Lord won't return until something happens. And what is that thing that we always talk about if we're missions-minded at all that won't happen until this is accomplished? What is it? Yes, the gospel shall be preached to the end of the earth. I don't remember where that is. I think it's Matthew uh, 27 or something like that. It'll be preached to the end of the earth, and then the end will come. But one of the things we, I've never heard preached until it was a few years ago when I was listening to a man named Peter Sukahira uh, who talked about the blank theology. He said, one of the things that I never recognized until I began to study about Israel was this other piece of the puzzle that's absolutely important. Before Yeshua, before Jesus will return to the earth, this thing has to also happen beyond just the, the evangelization of the entire world or being able to share the gospel with every nation, which, by the way, we're very close to according to mission organizations. What's the primary reason? Right now, well, it, all the communications, but what's the most important reason that we're that's escalating quickly now, being able to get the gospel even to very unreached people groups? It's probably in your pocket. It's the smartphone. There are programs now, and I don't want to go into details about it, but they can they can communicate by phone to phone rather than going over the network because of Bluetooth and they're able to pass the gospel and videos and all this kind of stuff where it's almost like a viral thing but a godly viral thing that gets onto people's phones and they can then pass it on and it doesn't have to go over a network. It can't be blocked in nations where the gospel is suppressed. So we are right on the edge of the entire earth being evangelized. But there's a second thing. Does anybody know what the second thing that has to happen is? Yes, the conversion of Israel. And where do we find that? Does anybody remember the scripture where we find that? That may be, but the one I'm thinking about is a prophetic word by Jesus himself. Before Jesus went to the cross, right before he went to the cross, he went out of Jerusalem and he went up on a mountain and he looked over Jerusalem and he said something, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would that you would come to me. I would want to gather you under my wings as a mother hen gathers her chicks. But you would not. Therefore, I say to you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is in Hebrew, Baruch Ababa Shem Adonai. Maybe we can say it together. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now this is a colloquialism in Hebrew which means welcome. Welcome. 
So Jesus is saying, I'm not going to return to this place, and we know Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem. He's coming to land on Mount Zion. He will not return to that place until they're saying, welcome. We welcome you. And not just any Messiah. Yes, the Jews have been looking for a Messiah for decades, for millennia. But they have not been looking for the Messiah because they have been veiled, as the scriptures in Romans chapter 11 say. There is a veil over their eyes, so they haven't been able to see Messiah. But they are going to be saying when he returns, yes, as a nation and as a people, they're going to be saying, return, Messiah, come back. We believe it's you. And they'll look on him whom they have pierced, and they will recognize him, and they will mourn as a child, as a, as a parent does for their firstborn son. They will mourn that they've rejected him. And so they'll be welcoming him. So this is an, a major piece to the return of Messiah. And I'm not just saying we need to do this so we can get Jesus to come back, but we are not going to see the return until the people of Israel are welcoming Jesus. And so this is where we come in. If you look at the passage, it says, have the Jews stumbled? The question is, have the Jews stumbled? Yes, absolutely they've stumbled. But have they stumbled so that they are beyond recovery? Now, I want to say that again, and I want to hear everybody speak it back to me, at least according to what the Scripture says. Have they they stumbled so that they are beyond recovery? No. And the Lord is going to do this thing. It isn't going to be by our effort necessarily, but we, he wants to involve us, the church. Because he goes on, he says, their stumbling has brought riches to us spiritually because we have come to know the Lord because of their stumbling. What he's saying is they were blinded for a time so that all of us could have the opportunity to come into, into the kingdom. But then he says this, if their stumbling brought salvation to us, how much greater blessing Will their fullness be? Now, when I, was, when I was lit up about Israel, I just tell you, I grew up in a church that said we love Israel, we understand God's purposes for Israel, we bless Israel, but we had an eschatology that said that Israel would never come to salvation until we had all been raptured and gone. Therefore, the eschatology kind of took away any responsibility on us to do anything in relation to the Jewish people. Because surely, after we're raptured, somehow supernaturally, Jesus is going to draw them back to himself, and then they're going to be welcoming him. But actually, I do not think, I do not believe now that we're all going to be gone. I've never seen a time in history where God has not left a witness for himself on the earth, even in the time of Noah. He put them on an ark, He protected them, but he did not remove the people from the earth that were a witness to who he was. And so the Jewish people in some way have to be drawn to him. And this is where we come in because what does Paul say the reasoning for their blindness so that we could come in was for? What was the ultimate purpose? So that we would do what? We would provoke them to jealousy. And when I started seeing this, and that when they recognize Messiah, it'll be like life from the dead, is what Paul says. The Lord started saying, you you know, all the evangelistic crusades and the thousands of people you've seen come to the Lord, you haven't seen nothing 
compared to when the Jews all turn to the Lord and it becomes Jew and Gentile together as the one new man with the Spirit of God flowing through us. Then the release of the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be so powerful in that unity that the world is going to be drawn to Christ and those that will be saved in one last great harvest. I believe this is what the Lord is trying to tell us. But we are faced with a choice, friends. Are we going to provoke Israel to jealousy? Are we doing anything to provoke them to jealousy? Because that's what the Lord asked me that day. I said, bless Israel. But where were the feet to what I was saying? Was I, was I taking steps of any kind to actually bless Israel? And the first thing the Lord put on my heart is to begin to pray for Israel. You say, I don't know how to bless Israel. I don't even know any Jewish people. So let me just... Let me just tell you, there are Africans that don't have any interaction with any Jews and they are standing in the gap in intercession in the most powerful way I've ever seen in any place in the world. In China, they're doing the same thing and they don't have a Jew one. So one of the things we can all do is pray for them. You can also give to them and you can ask for opportunities. Lord, give me opportunities to provoke a Jewish person to jealousy for you. That doesn't mean we're going to go shake them and go, hey, you've got to believe in Jesus. But we're going to provoke them to jealousy. How are we going to provoke them to jealousy? Well, if I had time, I would go on and show you that it is really by our love, by an expression of our love. And this is the challenge to the church now. Yes, the Jews have fallen, but they haven't fallen so as they can't get up. In our response, what God is asking us to do is to provoke them to jealousy. Now, let me tell you quickly a a quick analogy about the grafting. And I heard this um, expounded uh, in Israel at a conference with speaking about what a a horticulturist in the Middle East talked about this whole issue of grafting in an olive tree. And the way he described the grafting purpose of the wild olive branches and the native olive branches was this. When a native olive tree, or not a native olive tree, but a cultivated olive tree that they get olives that you can eat off of, because wild olive trees produce olives, but they're bitter and they're not edible. So they've got cultivated olive trees that produce olives that are edible. And when those trees begin to not produce much fruit, the nurserymen will cut off the native branches from the olive tree and will lay them in a bundle at the base of the tree. Then he will get wild olive branches and graft them into the cultivated olive tree. And as those branches begin to take, they begin to produce fruit consistent with the sap that is of the root stock. And they begin to produce good fruit. They begin to produce edible uh, uh, olives. Now, the the nurseryman lets this process go for a bit, but then in order to make the tree even more productive, he will take the branches that have been cut off that are laying at the base of the tree and he will graft them in again to the original root stock that is the cultivated olive tree. And this is how the horticulturalist, who was not a believer, explained this to my friend, a guy named Rick Ridings in Israel, runs a prayer ministry. Horticulturalists use these words. The native olive tree branches become jealous for what's going on 
with the, cult, with, the, with the wild olive branches and they begin to produce fruit and the whole tree becomes more fruitful. Now, this was not a guy that had read Romans 11. This was a horticulturist that was sharing how they make the olive tree more fruitful. And this is what God is calling the church to do. The church has done what the Lord wanted it to do through the ages. And yes, we messed it up along the way. And, and we've got all kinds of things we've gotten wrong. But the Lord's spirit has been in the church. And now what he's saying to the church is, look, I want to bring you back together with the Jews. Last fall, the Lord, and, and he wants them to become believers in Yeshua. Let me just be clear on that. They're not going to just not believe in Yeshua and then they're going to get to heaven and we're going to believe in Yeshua and Jesus and we're going to get to heaven our way. That's false. That is a false doctrine. It's not consistent with this. They have to recognize Messiah. But that's not by us going up and shaking them and go, you must believe. It's by us showing the love of Messiah to them that provokes them to jealousy. And I believe in the days to come, we are going to be presented with some opportunities. As darkness escalates in the world, the spirit of anti-Semitism is rising again. And we're seeing what we thought was dead and killed with the Holocaust coming back to life. Oh, there's been bleeps of it here and there. But now we're seeing entire nations begin to turn not just the Arab nations in the Middle East, but nations all over Europe even, that were Christian nations that have the cross in their flag. Again, doing and saying things. Even England. Have you guys heard the, the Liberal Party in England? and what, what the, I can't remember his name right now, but, but uh, who said it? Corbyn. What Corbyn's been saying? Scary, scary anti-Semitic stuff. And now it's cloaked in words against the state of Israel. And they say, well, that's not anti-Semitic because we're not actually against Jews. We're just against Israel. Okay? So when you put it, into the, we put it in the right language, then it's not anti-Semitism. But Israel is the heart of what, is, uh, of what the Jewish people, the nation, the people of Israel is. So... This is rising again, and I think we're going to have an opportunity to serve the nation and people of Israel. And when I was over there last fall, the Lord put it in my heart very clearly that it was our responsibility, and He's, he's been telling me this all along. But one of the things that I, I experienced when I was there last fall, I went for the Feast of Tabernacles, the Lord told me to go there. I originally had a tour planned, and I thought that the Lord was... I was supposed to take people over on a tour, and I've taken people over many times, probably seven, eight, nine times. But this time, he said, cancel that, and you go by yourself. And on this particular occasion, he had me go to the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, Feast of Tabernacles is a very Jew and Gentile feast. It's actually, the Jews recognize there's something about the Gentiles that is in relationship to this feast. They don't really get it. But they know because in the Old Testament, there were 70 bulls that were sacrificed during the time of tabernacles representing the 70 nations or the 70 languages, the 70 original nations. So they know it's about salvation for the nations as well as for the Jews, but they don't understand how or any of its fullness. So I went over there and one of the things they do is on the seventh day of tabernacles, they shake the lulav or the palm frond. And if they're really religious, they go down to the wall, to the, the, the Western Wall. 
So the Lord told me to go there and shake the lulav at the Western Wall with all the Jews. Now, I felt ridiculous. I'm just telling you. All these Jewish guys. And here's this one Gentile dude. And I'm shaking this lulav. But what they're saying when they shake the lulav, listen, what do they say? Does anybody know what they say? Hoshiana! 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 Which is, Lord, save us. Lord, save us. This is why they were shaking the palm frond when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. It wasn't consistent with the time of year, but they were looking to this tabernacles thing that they did that recognized the coming of Messiah. And that's why they were shaking the palm frond. Because it was related to the Feast of Tabernacles and when the Lord will rule and reign on the earth. So they were saying, yes, it's that time. Hoshiana, save us. Save us, Hosanna. Come, Messiah, and save us. And I did that. And after I did this whole routine, I was exhausted. It was like, it was a prophetic act, you guys. Because what I think the Lord wanted is to say to the enemy, yes, Jew and Gentile are going to worship me together. And maybe they're still blind, but I'm bringing Hoshiana. I'm bringing salvation. I am going to save them. So I went back to my, my place that I was staying across the street from the western from the, uh, the entrance to the Western Wall, across from the Zion Gate, actually. And I took a nap because I was exhausted. I went early in the morning, and I did this for a few hours, and it was packed with people. I don't like huge crowds anyway, but I was, it was packed. So I left, and I went and took a nap. And when I woke up, the Lord said, go back. Go back to the wall. Now, by this time, all of that had cleared out, all the religious Folks had cleared out to go and do their thing because it's a holiday. They're probably having a meal or something. And I was walking up the parking lot into the Zion Gate. And as I was walking up there, I heard somebody call me from the right-hand side. And I, and I heard him addressing me in Hebrew. And I turned and I said, I'm sorry, I don't speak Hebrew. She said, oh, okay, I will speak English. She said, uh, can you tell me how to get to the hotel? This is my really bad Hebrew accent, okay? Or uh, Israeli accent. Can you tell me how to get to the hotel? What an odd question. I could tell this lady was very Jewish, but she was asking me, the hotel is their word for the Western Wall. She said, how do I get to the hotel? I said, well, it's right up through this gate. If you go up through the Zion Gate here and take a right and... Then just follow the flow of people. You'll get there. Now, this lady was on a cane, okay? And she was elderly, and her knees were bad. And uh, she came toward me, and I said, why don't I just escort you there? I'll take you there. I'm headed there anyway. She said, uh, oh, no, 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 no. I am very slow. You will never be able to help me get there. You go ahead. I said, well, I would really like to help you. She said, no, no, no. I have my grandson here. He will walk with me. Now that I know. I said, okay. So I turned away and I began to walk. Now in Israel, the, the, and especially in Jerusalem, there's all this white stone. And it gets really slippery in the old city when it gets anybody wet at all because it gets worn down. And about the time that I get to the steps to go up toward the Zion Gate, it's just a few flights of stairs, the Holy Spirit says very clearly, do not leave her, go back and talk to her. So I was like, okay. So I turn around, and I went back, and she's down here in the parking lot, still hears the stairs. And I said, so, with the brilliant, my brilliant capabilities and small talk, I said, so you're going to the hotel. And then I thought, oh, 
That's what she just told me. We just had this conversation. <laughs> you know, I couldn't think of something better as an opener than that. And she said, yes, we are going to the hotel. It's my grandson. We're going to have his bar mitzvah there. Now, bar mitzvah is when a Jewish boy will become a man. Okay? And they'll do some prayers over him. But you could tell these were very secular Jews. They were not religious. But they still wanted to keep the tradition of the bar mitzvah. In fact, I found out later that the child's mom was not a, uh, a believer at all. In fact, wasn't even an observant Jew at all and was opposed to them to actually bar mitzvahing him. But anyway, they were sneaking him off to, to bar mitzvah him at the Western Wall. His dad was. And so uh, they had left the grandma and the child off to walk in this one area while he went to get parking. That's how little they knew about how to get around old Jerusalem. And so I walked with this. I went back and I stood here and I was talking to her and she started coming up the stairs. And all of a sudden, as she took the first couple of steps, she slipped and she fell really hard with a thud. And I was like, oh no, this lady is not in good shape already. She's fallen this really hard stone. So I ran down and another man from parking lot comes and we lift this lady up and she says, maybe it is not God's will that I go to the hotel today. And I said, I didn't say anything. She said, well, I will try. I said, ma'am, I have to insist that I help you go there. I want to walk with you. And she said, okay, I guess I will let you. I said, okay. Now, as this whole transaction was going on, the Lord took me right back to this scripture. Have they fallen so that they cannot get up? Here's this Jewish lady laying on his stairs on her way to the temple to worship the Lord in a fashion, and she's fallen. She doesn't even know her way back. Do you understand? She doesn't even know her way to the place of worship that her ancestors worshipped at. She doesn't know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, really. And here she is on the ground, and I, I said, can I, I, let me help you up. So I helped her up. We walked. Now this was a slow, tedious process, because it was quite a long walk to the wall from where we were. It wasn't a hop, skip, and a jump. But one step at a time, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Have they fallen so as they cannot get up? I will take the veil off of their eyes. I will bring them back again to me. But I want you and the church to help them get back to me. And it's going to take you expressing love of the Lord one step at a time. And that is the challenge to this church. This is the one thing I wanted to tell you guys that the Lord put in my heart. God is so pleased with this church and with this leadership. This is not something that he just gives to anybody to foster, especially at the beginning of this movement. This is a privilege that he's sharing it with you now and giving you the opportunity to make the decision. Now, I'm going to finish with this. When I... When I when I first got lit up about this, it was Romans 11. Peter was preaching a message, and at the end, he laid out a sheet because we were taking an offering for Israel to launch LL Israel. And, I, and he said to me, he said, uh, he said to the crowd, come up and put whatever the Lord puts in your heart in the sheet. And at that time, the Lord had already taken me to Romans 12, present your body, a living sacrifice. And when he said that, the Lord said, put yourself in the sheet because I want you to do this. Not your money, I want you. 
And he challenged me at the time a few months later because I was going back and I was saying, Lord, I can't do this. I'm a Gentile. You need somebody Jewish to lead Jewish people to the Lord. And, and he said, I had you go stand in the sheet. I put that in your heart because you remember Paul in his dream? A Peter in his dream? Remember Peter in his dream? That he had all the unclean animals come down and the Lord said, don't call unclean what I've called clean. He said, I've called you clean, Matt. Jew, Gentile, or indifferent, I've called you clean. Therefore, you have no less position in the kingdom than any Jewish person. And that's what I've called you to do. And so, don't call unclean what I've called clean. He was rebuking me for even questioning that. So, I believe he's calling Gentiles. Now, the Gentile church... Would you be willing to make a commitment that you will help the Jews, provoke the Jewish people to jealousy, and draw them back to their Messiah? This is our time. This is the time for the church to shine. And he's inviting us. But it's an invitation. You don't have to do it. But I felt that it was appropriate this morning as, as the close of this service to just, if the Lord's spoken to you today or in the past, about being a part of his divine purposes related to Israel and drawing the nation and people of Israel back to him. I want to lay out this sheet this morning and I want to invite you to stand with me. Now, be aware, this is not a small commitment because I believe in days to come, it will become not a small thing to stand with Israel and the Jewish people. Because even here in America, anti-Semitism is on the rise. I could tell you story after story. Don't be deceived. So this is not a small thing. If you need to pray about it before you do it, do that. But if you know this is something the Lord would want you to do, I want to invite you during this time, and I don't know if we've got any musician that could just play some music during this time. Um, can one of the worship team come and do that? Or we can play some music from the back maybe? That we just play some music on the, on the system. Just some soft music. And during this time, I just invite you to come and join me. If you would like to say, Lord, I'll stand in that place to provoke Israel to jealousy. Whatever you direct me to do. And so I'm going to lay this out. And we'll just stand in it together. walk on the sheet and let's just stand here together get as close as you can if you can't make it on it's okay I'm going to step up here but the Lord knows our heart right the Lord knows our heart so Lord we're not looking at other people right now this is between you and us Lord We hear what you're saying about the nation and people of Israel and your purposes. And Lord, we just stand before you today, presenting our bodies, a living sacrifice. Lord, where we need healing so we can do this mighty work, I ask you to begin to bring conviction with godly sorrow. Show us the places where we need healed, Yeshua. Lord, we present ourselves today so that we can provoke the Jews to jealousy. 
Whatever way you direct us to do, whether it's intercessory prayer, maybe it's giving, maybe it's going, maybe it's just doing loving things for a neighbor, taking them one step at a time back to their Messiah. Lord, we ask you to open the doors and we make a commitment, Lord, that we will follow you and be obedient to what you say to do today. I thank you for this church. And in Jesus' name and the authority that he's given for me, I release that upon you all, that calling to, to provoke the Jews to jealousy. I release that onto this church, into this congregation, Lord. Lord, what you've put into my heart that would flow to them as they've made this commitment. Lord, you'll show us the way. We'll trust you, Jesus. We'll trust you to show us the steps. I pray that you would protect them from the wolves and anything that would come to create division. We come against that spirit of division in Jesus' name. And we pray for unity in this church, Lord that you would just draw us together as one, as a mighty, a mighty work of your hand. I just ask these things in Jesus' name. from Mauritius. We were praying in, uh, outside of Paris. And I said, uh, Shane had asked us to do prayer ministry with he and his wife, Natasha. And then I said, Shane, would you pray for me? And he said, well, it's funny. He said, I'm getting three words. He said, Jews, Jews, Jews. <laughs> he said, this is really strange. He said, uh, there's something about you and about your church and the Jews. So I'm not even sure where God's going to take us, but I believe Matt has brought us by his obedience to the Lord to another place. Last week, our council met and we talked about, uh, there's a Kufi invited us, Christians United for Israel, to take a trip in March, but we felt that the time to go was a year from now in the fall uh, during some of the feast times. So we are looking at um, going uh, with another ministry probably in the fall of next year. And I believe God wants to connect some of you with the land there. The word of God will never be the same once you connect with the land of Israel, once you're there in person. So I just want to let you know we're praying about that and we're working on that. So God is doing some amazing things, isn't he? It was, let me finish with this. Two years ago, we had uh, Susanna Kokanen, some of you remember from Yad Vashem, shared with our church, but she also spoke at the Jewish Federation. And we invited uh, Holocaust survivors to come from all over Cleveland. There are a lot of them, even though many of them are very old. And uh, one man who was 15 years old was at Bergen-Belsen. He was a survivor. So he was a teenager that survived the death camps. And he stood up because we were letting them share their stories. And this guy said, I'm afraid because I feel the same spirit happening in America and in Europe that I felt as a young man in Europe many years ago. And he said, what is this? And you know, Susanna is such a sweet little lady, but so powerful in the Lord. She said, can I say something honestly to the Jewish people and the Christians who are here? I don't want to offend anybody. I want to read Isaiah 61. And she read that to everybody, and she said, this can't be explained other than the spiritual dimension of what's happening here. The enemy is opposing the Jews 
and Christians. It's the spirit of Antichrist. It's anti-Semitism, but if you want to name the spirit, it's an Antichrist spirit. I won't get to it next week. In two weeks, I'm going to talk about the Antichrist spirit and how it comes against families, churches, communities. We're going to unmask some of the spiritual things that come against uh, the people of God. But I've got to tell you, when she said that, the Spirit of God came down there at the Jewish Federation. And uh, it was so, so powerful, you know. And uh, there's a war going on, and God is bringing all of his people together. This is the harvest, folks. He's bringing all of his people together. He doesn't want one to be lost. Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter where you are. Let's all stand together. I just want to pray a prayer of closing. And if you don't know Messiah, this Messiah that we've been talking, if you don't know Jesus, you can come to know him today. We want, after the service here, some of our prayer team people will be up here. If you want to pray with somebody, if you need prayer for healing, you want to pray with them to get a word from the Lord, or if you uh, just need prayer to come to know Christ, um, they will help you. But Father, thank you for this time today. Lord, it's so good when we gather together to know that you're going to meet with us. This isn't just a religious exercise, but you have a word for us, you meet with us. Would you take what we've heard today and work it into our heart and spirit? For those that have taken a step forward, Lord, I just pray that you would impart to them right now a new heart to pray and to intercede. And I feel like the Lord is uh, imparting gifts of intercession. There's uh, there are prophetic and insight uh, gifts that are coming, prophetic gifts that God is releasing. Uh, there's a, a burden for intercession that God is giving you. He's going to raise. Uh, the Lord is saying some of you have prayed for a long time about uh, evangelization of the world in Israel. Uh, now he's going to bring you to a new dimension of prayer in that area. And God is just releasing those gifts. But there are others. God is going to call you to go. In this community of Northeast Ohio, one of the largest uh, Jewish communities, by the way, in the United States, he also is going to call some of you to go to Israel. But God is going to connect you with people. And I just pray, Lord, that those destinies, that you would release those right now in the name of Jesus Christ. All the things that you're doing in this group, we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Well, let's go in the power in the name of the Lord. If you want to pray, feel free to stay here. And guys, you can keep that music on. That's fine. And if you want a fellowship, the cafe is open. Feel free to go out there.